Joe, what are you doing? Karate. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today we have another In Defense Of, where Ryan and I take underrated entertainment we like, or things we don't like if we want a challenge, and try to give them our best defense, because sometimes we just need to be positive. This time, Ryan and I chose The Karate Kid, parts 2 and 3. Maybe we'll even talk about the next Karate Kid if there's time. We'll see. Probably not. Zooming into our medium shot. That's why. (laughs) Yeah. Zooming into our medium shot now. I want to tell you a bit about my relationship to the Karate Kid sequels. I've always been a fan of the original, and I think I saw parts two and four when I was a, well, kid, who took Taekwondo, by the way. But I somehow skipped over part three till a few years ago. My family did a lead-up of all the Karate Kid movies before the last season of Cobra Kai, and I was especially hyped to see three in case Terry Silver would be in the show. All right, Ryan, tell me about your relationship to the Karate Kid sequels. By the way, we're going to be fully spoiling both of them, so you've been warned. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't watch Karate Kid till very late in my life, probably when I was, like, in high school. It's always, like, one of those movie clips you see, like, you know, the famous one at the end of the tournament, you know, the... Crane kick. Crane kick. So when I first saw it, I thought it was really good. And then we grew up in an age where you go to the mall and there was a thing called the DVD store. Blockbuster. And usually they would have a Blockbuster, that as well. This is around the time where Blockbuster was closed, but DVDs were still a thing. Uh-huh. And they were running, they loved to do franchise sales. So say, buy all six of the Star Wars movies for 40 something bucks. Buy all the Lord of the Rings movies for twenty nine ninety nine, something like that. And they had one for the Karate Kids Part 1, 2, and 3. So I thought, hey, screw it. I'll buy it. Because I was just in that phase. So I watched Part 1, really liked it. And then right after I watched Part 2 and 3, which I heard were not as great. But still, still enjoyable. You know, same characters that you love. Daniel's son, Mr. Miyagi, both killing it, carrying the franchise. But mercifully. I thought they were very decently well done. I think part three gets the most hate, which oh, is weird because it's it's probably a personal favorite that I would like. It's a secret favorite for me to watch because I think there's a really important life lesson for teenagers around that time, especially since that's what the movies are catered towards is young teenage boys learning karate. We'll get there. I think it has a very strong message and for like an cheesy like 80s movie vibes not the worst thing I've seen. Oh there's so much. I think it's well written. I think it's yeah well written decently written and it's it just proves its point. Alright so let's begin. And it sets up Cobra Kai the TV show very well. Yeah, you know what? That's the, that's the real in defense of Karate Kid Part 2 and 3 is that they set up Cobra Kai, which is freaking amazing, and mm-hmm. you need to watch it if you haven't seen it. Which we have to we have to praise the Cobra Kai showrunners is that they are truly fans of just the whole series. Like, Definitely. they're not just, like, people who will, like, let's just remake the Karate Kid. No, they're, like, actual 
fans of the show or like karate kid one was karate kid one was clearly the best but like oh we'll throw some bones to two and three like no they actually build entire seasons around two and three they make them matter so which is really awesome which who knows if they i haven't watched season five yet but who knows if they make the next karate kid can or not which i think it would be cool to see hillary swank and i really hope she hasn't she hasn't done anything in a while but i think that'd be pretty sick Miyagi-Do needs more senseis, so they, they could use somebody like Julie Pierce. But I had a point. Oh, yeah, did you hear that Cobra Kai creators are going to be uh, writing the Ferris Bueller's Day Off spinoff? Interesting. Interesting. Apparently that spinoff is... Why? I don't know why they need a spinoff, but okay, I'll I tell would you. trust it to them. So allegedly what the spinoff's about, sorry to get off topic, I just needed to say, because, you know, it's another 80s movie. You probably like 80s yeah. movies if you're here, but this Cobra, this uh, Ferris Bueller spinoff is allegedly about the the two guys who stole the Ferrari when Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron that. left the Ferrari <laughs> with those. I don't care about that. And they went on the joy. I don't joy- care about the valets. Yeah, but it's, but it's from the creators of Cobra Kai, so I'm in. Whatever. I'm in. Sure. They're fantastic. Fine. Okay, Defending Karate Kid Part 2. So, quick rundown about what Karate Kid Part 2 is about. So, at the beginning of the movie, Mr. Miyagi is warned that his father is dying. So, he and Daniel travel to Okinawa. And during this... Yeah. Pause. It actually starts right where the last movie left off, where they're in the parking lot, and... Not Terry Silver. Crease. What's his name? Crease. Almost murders Johnny Lawrence in front of dozens of witnesses for losing the fight. And right, right, that scene got me into the movie. I was like, "Oh my god!" They brought back you. You see, like sequels of that time, and they don't really yeah. bring back actors. They usually just kill them off or just get rid of them in some forms of writing, which they do with uh, Danny Zook, like all his uh, girlfriends in these movies. <laughs> but other than that, I thought it was a really intense scene because you see. Crease straight up try to murder a child <laughs> in front of yeah. multiple people. Or maybe he's just angry, teaching a lesson. And then Miyagi comes in, does one of these, and he's just basically uh, Crease beats himself up. Which yes, was the amazing. classic ant. And I thought it was a really awesome opening scene. Fun fact about that scene that was actually filmed during Karate Kid Part 1, I believe. I believe. But it. they didn't. Well, they, they thought it was. A little too dark as an ending, I think, something like that. Or they just didn't fit the the tone of the first one. They wanted to end more with the celebration. So when they made the sequel, they figured, oh, let's recycle that scene. That's smart. They liked it. I'd love it. Because, well, especially if we're looking forward to Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid Part 2 makes us understand that Johnny Lawrence is a victim as well. And it actually makes you, the first scene of the movie makes you pity the villain of the first movie. And it makes John Kreese look psychotic and you see how his teaching style affects the youth which is a huge theme in cobra kai and it also sets up john crease as a villain for further down the line when he comes back in karate kid part three which we will get to but this scene just the first scene of karate kid part two sets up basically the rest of this universe going forward so that in a very efficient way yeah i just want to bring up that scene because i think it's a really cool scene i love it so where are we? Yeah, so Miyagi's warned that his father's dying, so he and Daniel travel to 
Miyagi's homeland in Okinawa. But during this trip, Miyagi is challenged to a death match by his former best friend for a decades-old transgression. Miyagi would have had to kill his friend many years ago, but chose instead to leave Okinawa and never return, until the events of Karate Kid Part 2. His former friend, Sato, gives Miyagi time to leave again, but insists on the duel after three days pass. And that is where we start Karate Kid Part 2. So, that brings me to one of my first defenses of Karate Kid Part 2, is how bold is it to completely change the setting of a sequel like this? Mm-hmm. Most movies try to give you exactly the same of what you had before, which means... Kind of like the start of this movie, we would have been following Daniel Miyagi, John Kreese, Johnny Lawrence, Ali again, probably. But no, we were going to a totally different country on the other side of the world, completely different culture to the U.S. It's We're in Japan now with a whole new cast of characters, Sato, Chosen, Kumiko, and... Uh, I just think that was a very bold choice immediately. The, an entirely new world in Tomi Village, completely unlike the valley back in California. I can't believe they had the guts to just switch it up entirely for this sequel, but I'm, I, I'm glad that they yeah. did. And in the 80s, too. I wonder if it's because... Um, I, don't under, I don't know the box office, but I wonder if it did... Karate Kid did very well overseas. That maybe they try to cater to those audiences too, but also do it in a respectful way. Which I think is awesome. A Hollywood film in 1986 with mostly Japanese, Japanese-American cast set in Japan and awesome. revolving around Japanese culture. That's weird to get in Hollywood even today, let alone 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, hey, kudos to Karate Kid Part 2 for being ahead of the curve. It's ballsy, which I love. Yeah. So... So this new, I'd say the new world of Okinawa is pretty well explored as well. They didn't just drop us in here. We got to see a lot of it. We got to see the coastal cliffs, ancient castles, city bars, American-inspired dance halls, agricultural sectors, the old fishing industry. We got to see a lot of Japanese culture, like uh, when Daniel and Kumiko did the Japanese tea ceremony. We could see the cultural divide between this traditional old fishing village and the a modern way of life in other parts of Japan creeping its way into this old traditional village. We see how the people there care about family, honor, and history. We get to learn about the spiritual nature of karate and what it means to wield those skills with honor. So it, it goes pretty far into, well you know, a Hollywood version of Japanese culture. I don't know how authentic it really is, but it it definitely opened my eyes to a different side of the world and made me, like Daniel, more curious about Japanese culture and would get me to explore more of it on my own time when I get the time. (laughs) When we have the time and money to go to Okinawa. Yeah. I mean, even just just learning about Japanese culture on the internet or whatever. Right, yeah. Just, yeah, just learning more about it. Another interesting thing, I think, compared to the first movie is that Karate Kid Part 2 is actually way darker in tone than the first one. It really makes the stakes life or death. The first one was basically just Daniel 
having to fight the bullies. Fight, yeah, fighting bullies. He goes into a tournament to fight his main bully just to prove a point. But there was a scene at the end of this one where Chosen straight up tries to kill Daniel and also tries to kill Kumiko. And Mr. Miyagi makes a point. He said, Daniel, this isn't a tournament. This is real life. So he's got to be careful. There's also multiple scenes in this movie where Daniel takes his training to the next level. If Daniel's training wasn't up to par in the first movie, the the worst he would have gotten is a couple of bruises, scrapes. Johnny would have beat him up, which sucks. But in this one, he makes that $600 bet against can he break the block of ice. And he probably could have gotten seriously injured doing that. Or the other training session when he was training, I don't remember exactly what he was doing. I think he was practicing his blocks. And then he, he gets set up in the old fishing house and has that fish hook yep. on top. And then they, they, drop the, they drop the hook on him and it nearly impales him if he doesn't do the move right. So they, they really bump everything up to the next level. Oh yeah, and also the, not just for Daniel and Miyagi, but oh yeah, the, the bad guys also trash Miyagi's father's home. They destroy his house. The entire fate of the so village. disrespectful. Yeah, the entire fate of the village has to be decided as well. When Sato's going, trying to scam all the villagers and he's going to bulldoze the old traditional town to build something more modern and consumeristic and capitalistic, and it just, it would totally kill the vibe and the traditions. And so they're also fighting for the, the soul of tradition and also for the soul of karate we have two people who miyagi and daniel they use karate as honorably as protectors and guardians whereas chosen and sato use it to bully and harass and inflict their might upon those who can't defend themselves so it also shows how so they're also fighting to for the spirit of karate itself, which is a lot heavier than the first movie. There's so many more heavy themes in Karate Kid Part 2 than the first one. So, I've been talking a lot. I, I have more to say, but you, you, you talk for a bit. Yeah, um, I haven't seen this in a while, but from what I remember, I was really surprised of of the setting that was taken place especially for the time when this was filmed but i was interested in it immediately I, there was never one point during this movie where i was bored i was very interested in each of the new characters and this felt like a way how to do like an origin story for miyagi mm -hmm. done right but not like a origin story per se where you see like a younger miyagi and you do all this like it's more exposition based, it, but here, yeah, it's a good way to sh of the uh, tell don't show, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do. It's a good way of doing it because you see these characters. It's acted perfectly with whoever casted them, with especially with Sato and Miyagi, where you can feel the history between each of the characters and when they're talking about their past and what happened, 
and um, we're just right there with Daniel the whole time of just confused and like, why can't you just work this out? And I think it plays to their benefits because we truly don't know the whole story. We just hear from both Sato's point of view and Miyagi's point of view. And I think that plays better than actually showing what happened back in the day because there's just so much mystery and so much anger that these two have for each other that it creates so much tension. And it would have been cool to see them back in the day. But I think for some reason here it just works, in my opinion. Well, I think part of part of it is that we already know Mr. Miyagi is a pacifist. And Sato makes pretty clear that he thinks Miyagi ran away all those years ago because he was a coward. And we know Mr. Miyagi isn't a coward, but we know his his pacifistic point of view could look like cowardice to an aggressive person like Sato. And I think that comes together. What makes it come together is the very end when Sato has been trying the entire movie to crack this giant wooden beam. And even with all his aggression and power, he can't do it. But then when the storm at the end basically takes out the entire village and Sato gets trapped under this beam, Mr. Miyagi, even though he's been abstaining from fights and provocation the entire movie, goes up to Sato trapped under this beam and in one fell swoop chops the beam. And that's when Sato realizes that even though Miyagi is a a pacifist, it doesn't mean he's any less powerful. In fact, if they had dueled, he probably would have killed Sato. And the reason he ran away is because he didn't want to kill his friend. It wasn't cowardice. It was out of love and respect and he realized that you don't have to be aggressive to have power i I just that that was a great ending just because it showed miyagi with all his restraint is still the more powerful in the end yeah it's very it's very well done you don't i've heard many critiques about no I haven't heard many critiques about part two as I have about part three, but I just, yeah, I just think it's really well done. It's ballsy that they went for this setting. It was, and they did a very good job on showing Miyagi's origin, his history, where he's from, and painting, painting uh, Okinawa and I like, or in my eyes, I don't know how people from Okinawa feel about it in like a respectful manner where it's not like it's not over the top and very stereotypical of you would see like some like really old movies like freaking Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at Tiffany's like that's really bad yeah you just see it it felt respectful this is how they yeah this is how they live this is their way of life it's different from our world but it's how they live and how they get by and there's a lot of beautiful moments in the in the movie And I think another thing about that that I really enjoyed is that most movies, Daniel is the young, hot-headed American. Most movies, especially in the 80s, would have had this young, white, hot-headed American boy come to Okinawa, be the savior of everything. Everyone would be like, oh, wow, Americanism is so cool in this, like, this American boy is the hero and our savior, and wow, how... How great. But Daniel comes to Okinawa more humbly than that. He's here 
He's just here with Mr. Miyagi, who's doing a, a personal life thing, coming to see his father before he dies. And he just... Daniel doesn't go out of his way to make himself the hero of this movie. He avoids getting into the uh, into the village's conflicts as much as he possibly can. He He tries... shows restraint, but he's always observant. And I think what's really most telling is that he doesn't change the culture around him as most movies would have done, but the culture changes him. It makes him, yep. it, it, it really makes him more mature by the end, just having experienced this. It gives him more of a, oh, the entire world's not like America. He sees a completely different way of life and he likes it. It impacts him. He comes out of this more he comes out of this more Japanese than the Japanese come out American, which is how most movies would have done it. Which yeah, I love. Sure. I, I love. I think that's that's an incredible subversion. And yeah. Yeah. You see hints of it when he comes back to America in part three, where he's learned Japanese culture with the bonsai shop. But then you yes. really see in Cobra Kai, the TV show, older Daniel... And how his trip to Okinawa really did change his life and how he uses that trip to almost in a way like shape his life and how he treats people and how he acts around his family. And yeah, even though he's a car salesman, he's probably the most respected car salesman in all of media. Well, even, even in little I don't know about like you. I don't plan on buying a car anytime soon. But if I did and if I got a free bonsai tree... When I did, I'd be so grateful. Yeah. You know how awesome bonsai trees are? <laughs> this series makes me appreciate bonsai trees. I'll give that. They require like that. little to no sunlight. Or they do require sunlight. I don't know. The first time we see yeah. it's in a, like a shed, so I don't know. Uh, even in Cobra Kai, even his house, like the design of his house looks Japanese inspired. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, has Jap he eats Japanese food and you know, listens to Japanese music. He just respects the culture. And I think that's that's awesome. The other thing I'll say in defense of Karate Kid Part 2, Daniel and Kumiko have a way more mature relationship than Daniel with Ali. I think his chemistry is even better with Kumiko. And I'll be honest, I kind of wanted him to end up with Kumiko by the time of Cobra Kai. Though I, I love Amanda. <laughs> now that I know Amanda, I'm... I'm you I'm wanted cool him Amanda. to cheat on Amanda. <laughs> no. No, I'm not saying... I thought they were going that way. I thought they were going that way in season four or three whenever they visited. And I was like, Daniel, don't do it. Don't do <laughs> it. You've got a family at home. I love Kaminico too. I just thought they were really good together in this one. Yeah, because that felt like a, like a natural, like, young, excuse me, a natural young love story arc where you, there's the meet cute and then there's the slow progression into them falling in love, as we'll say. Or they're crush developing. Whereas in part one, <laughs> parts of it felt like Ali was just getting back at Johnny a few times, which is fine. It happens yep. in high school. But other times, and also other times, Daniel's a real dick and just doesn't understand social cues or doesn't use his hot headedness gets to him sometimes and doesn't understand. Yeah. He goes too what far. Really happened. Yeah. They were definitely a little, a little toxic. But they do make up a little bit. Yeah. Until at the beginning of this movie where Daniel blames that she crashed her car or whatever. His car. 
but then it's revealed in Cobra Kai. It's, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But, I uh, yeah. It was nice to see Daniel have less relationship problems than in the first one. Like it's a, it feels it feels more like there. an adult relationship than kind of like you said a, a kind of toxic high like school like a high school yeah 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 not to say so, Daniel or Ali are toxic but there was moments where it was like okay but like it's a it's a high back. school re- it's a high school relationship like you said it's kind of like oh they're, they're kind of getting back at like they were good but I like Kuwait I have an opinion now. Daniel chose the wrong car in part one he chose the all Ouch. yellow one which was cool for the eighties but I think the black one was cooler. As just my personal noted. opinion. As my personal opinion. However, he fits well in that car. So another thing I thought was cool about this was that Miyagi is basically the protagonist of this movie. Even though yes. Daniel is still, you know, pretty well the main character. This is Pat Morita's movie. Not so much Ralph Macchio's. The entire thing is set in Miyagi's world. Explores Miyagi's backstory with his former best friend and his father and his old love interest and Pat Morita has the best performance and arguably the whole franchise in the, well in this movie of the original three his subtlety is it's just really impressive to me like his acting in this movie was just so good mm-hmm. he makes you feel a lot for him without him really saying anything but he he speaks a lot through his eyes it's all about miyagi's very very good very good subtle actor yeah salty at its finest i feel like him and hitchcock we get very get along quite nicely (laughs) yes in terms of subtlety but yeah i think yeah he's definitely the heart and soul of these movies not to say that daniel isn't but I think the reason you watch the Karate Kid series is to learn life lessons from uh, Mr. Miyagi. And um, he's got so much wisdom because he's done, he's done so much. Well, here's my in-defense of part four. happened to him in his life. Yes, exactly. Oh, and, that's what, and here's my in-defense of, well, okay, we're, we weren't going to talk about it. But here's, here's where I'll talk about my in-defense of the next Karate Kid is Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. You watch this movie for him, like you said, this franchise is all about Miyagi and his life lessons he imparts, and just him being a strong presence in the lives of people who otherwise only knew chaos. He's just one of the best mentors in all of fiction, personally. So seeing him one last time in the canon is worth the price of admission to the next Karate Kid, even though it's technically the worst written out of the original four and it it's really feels you know there's enough criticism about it you can look up the criticisms but i liked it i also like seeing how he teaches somebody who's not daniel so that'll be that's my brief in defense of karate kid part four it's just more of pat marina heard it wasn't great but i haven't seen it it's it's worth your time if you've seen the other three. Mm-hmm. You'll get something out of it. Yeah. If you're a hater of part two and three, don't bother. But if you like two and three, go watch four. I don't know why, but when watching part two and the final fight between Daniel and Chosen, I was actually scared of 
is Daniel about to die? I don't know why. I know he wouldn't because it's the 80s. And I knew there was a part three. But I just, I guess, just the way it was written and the way the story was going. I, like, my brain turned off. I was like, oh, crap, he might actually die here. Because it was just, like, it was built up very well as chosen as, like, this aggressive bad guy who was just getting more and more jealous of Daniel and, uh... It's intense. It's very... It was an intense scene. And then everybody does the drum, which helps Daniel get a little bit of courage back or energy and does the, the blocking thing that he learned. Yep. Yep. It's and the, then he honks the drum is the, the drum is the secret of karate. So it says Which he does... When he came... Spoiler alert for Cobra Kai. But when Chosen shows up, I was like, oh, shit. I was nervous. And then, like, they have their, like, Honk. older... Yeah, they have their older... And then he brings yeah. back in his face. I was like, Chosen grew up. And it's like, that's why this show is so good. It might not be, like... It might be cheesy. Like, the first two seasons might be cheesy, but it's still so good. It's 80s cheese. You can it's tell, like if you, if you, you watch... You tell the, the showrunners love the universe. Yeah, they love the 80s, too. Because, like, yeah, it's, it's cheesy, but it's, it's 80s cheese. And it's fun. Yeah. So get over yourself. Which is and, the best era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is the best era for cheese. Get over yourself and go with it. So. Yeah, exactly. The honking of the nose is also pretty cool because once again, even when Daniel and Miyagi have the upper hand, they still shows. They choose to humiliate their opponents who are being super aggressive and macho. But they Just still. Worse. Sh- they show mercy. Which <laughs> is worse yeah. than death. Yeah. And uh, one of the most important rules of Karate Kid Part 2 is it breaks down what Miyagi-Do is all about in two very simple rules. Rule 1, karate is for defense only. Rule 2, first learn rule number 1. And that's it. (laughs) What's that? What's that joke in uh, Cobra Kai? It's like, the guy teaches you karate and you can't teach him English. (laughs) (laughs) He, like, calls out Daniel for, like, you can't teach him a little bit of English. Ouch. All right, so uh, that's uh, when I think... Johnny. Oh my! When Johnny and Daniel try to teach each other, it's so funny. I love it. It's just it's so funny. You two can tell the two different... actors just love playing those. Like they're buddies in real life, but like they yeah, ugh, it's so fun. So unless you have anything more to say about part two, you want to go on to part three? Uh, punching those blocks of ice would hurt. I don't know how he did it breathing and i mean that could be it he centered his... them all to a cinder blocks <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta train anyway. your mind to avoid pain focus <laughs> doing that all my life therapy <laughs> says it's not a good idea anyway <laughs> part three all right karate kid part three the least loved of the original trilogy but we like it. So Ryan yeah, it's was about 80s to eat cheese. It's gold. Ryan was about to go off. Probably the biggest 80s villain in terms of over the topness of all time. And that is Terry, Terry Silver. Silver. He's got the biggest ponytail. Well, it's not in terms of length, but just like he's he's rocking that ponytail everywhere in business meetings. One of my favorite parts in of Cobra hot, in Kai. In hot tubs. Yeah. 
One of my favorite parts of Cobra Kai was when he was when he finally put the ponytail back on. The it's like okay, here here we go. Here we go. Uh, I think this one starts off with them like coming back from the airport too. Like again, this like part one, part two, and part three are all supposed to be like one continuous story. So much happens in a year, something like that. Yeah, who knows? But I yeah, think it so... skips forward in time a bit, though. Probably yeah, through the montages. I think we're supposed I think... to know montage wise, it goes through a few weeks or so. Because I think in part two, Daniel was just going to Okinawa because. Yeah, it was just a it was just a summer trip before college, but I don't remember why in part three. But he's actually just straight up living with Mr. Miyagi. His mom moved again somewhere, but he wanted to stay in the valley, something like that. Interesting. Let me let me look up. Oh yeah, because I know she she lives out of town in uh, Cobra Kai, which I was surprised when she came back on the show. She was still alive, if I'm being honest. All right, so what is? I'm just on Wikipedia, but. Upon returning to Los Angeles from Okinawa, Daniel and Miyagi discover that the South Seas apartment complex is being renovated, leaving Miyagi unemployed and Daniel homeless. Daniel uses his college funds to help finance Miyagi's dream of opening a bonsai shop, and Miyagi makes him a partner in the business. So, Which is so sweet. That's very sweet. That was and the those money that times, he from- not, not going to college in the 80s? Oh my god. Imagine... That was with all the money he earned were, from uh, gambling shunned. on from gambling on the uh, the ice thing, right? Yeah, he won a he won a lot of money. Yeah, they got uh, they won. Sato Daniel's comes college. in, he's like, Sato comes in, he's like, bet a lot I don't on know how it. much he bet. He bet a lot, which is fine because he's a billionaire or a trillionaire. Who cares? He's a heir of something. But yeah, this one. God, this one is just so crazy, and but I love it. I love it. It's just it's it's like it's great in my opinion, just because it shows you how like really rich people are will just go to hard lengths to really try to corrupt a person. So Terry Silver poses as, or he buys Cobra Kai. Is that what it is? He like buys the rights to Cobra Kai. I think he he and Kreese were always... They both owned it. Yeah, yeah. They were always... Co- Terry Silver's the one who funded it in the first place. Yeah. They were best they both, friends from Vietnam. Yeah. And Terry Silver was the which money guy. Which is a guy. great... And Cobra Kai, which is a great... It's Back a great, uh, like, throwaway. Where uh, you see in the backstory, the guy with the ponytail actually dies. But the guy crease saves turns out to be terry silver he's like the skinnier like so i guess in homage he puts on the ponytail which is kind of a great like gag (laughs) but yeah so they both own it so i'm like and then so terry says here's what we'll do because john's like oh i hate miyagi i hate daniel he ruined my image he ruined everything i'm a drunk now i have stubble yeah because of them kill a teenager yeah yeah because Daniel and Miyagi, Daniel beat Kreese and then exposed that he tried to cheat and then he tried to kill Johnny in front of a bunch of witnesses. Sweet so, long story short, Cobra Kai is, their reputation is tarnished and they were forced to close down. So, John Kreese I don't know if goes, I've heard of a business that's been, that's closed and opened so many times in this universe. It's closed and opened, like, at least three times now, story-wise. Yeah. Ever in the present. 
Well, and I then think there's Eagle me. Fang. <laughs> I've been the trying to get name a Cobra ever, Kai t-shirt. I, I love it. I've been trying to get a Cobra Kai. I either want a Cobra Kai t-shirt or a Miyagi-Do one, but it's got to be Cobra Kai. The one with the bonsai tree on it? Yeah. But if I want the bonsai tree, I kind of want the rope. But I haven't earned it. Anyway. Yeah. So basically, Tara's like, hey, I'm your rich friend. You saved my ass so many times in Vietnam. I'll save yours. I'll reopen Cobra Kai in my own image. And here's what we'll do. We will... Get Daniel get on Daniel our side. On our side. And we'll try to get him to fight this guy named Mike Barnes. Who the is bad boy of karate bad boy karate who i really don't spoil anything i really want to see in the show i don't know if he's in yet but i really want to see it would be him really cool and hillary swank because i think it'd be cool just to see where that character's at now they're few of the only ones that haven't been brought back yet so like come on yeah i think they'll do it at some point they have to so yeah there's just they're scheming and Mike Barnes is basically, Mike Barnes is just creating assault case after assault case against Daniel. Being like, hey, you should fight me in this tournament. Uh, and Dan's like, no. He's like, okay, then I'm just going to destroy your shop. Or I'm going to threaten your, your, your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't think they were dating. He's got a new girl one. again. Which will, I don't know they were just dating. No, they, they weren't dating in this one. And I think I heard. Did they kiss? I don't think so. I think I heard behind the scenes the th- the problem was Ralph Macchio was like in his twenties at this point, and it was just it was getting weird for him to be dating these teenage girls. So they just they just made these ones friends in this movie, yeah, that, which I which that I respect. Happens in real life, <laughs> which I respect. It shows once again Daniel's furthering maturity that he doesn't even need yeah. a love interest in the third movie. He can just have a friend. Hint, I think they kind of like hint towards it but then mike barnes comes in and it's just like uh ruins now i'm gonna ruin every i'm gonna ruin every mood that you're in like he he takes him so well first daniel and mr miyagi climb a certain cliff in the valley to plant a bonsai tree like the very first bonsai tree that miyagi ever brought over from okinawa or ever grew they're putting roots down in america in the putting roots down which is an awesome scene and I'd be in, I would be losing my shit if I had to climb that. And then later on in the movie, Daniel brings what's her name? I can't keep calling her the girl. Jessica. Keeps bring, uh, brings Jessica over to it, and for some reason Mike Barnes is there too, and threatens to like throw her off the cliff or something like that. Like Mike that Barnes was, is an insane person. That was the best scene in the movie. That when they went back to the cliff and they were they were hanging off the wires with the bonsai tree and Mike My Barnes God. is ready to let the lines go and let them drop to the bottom. That was a really intense scene. It's the one that most vividly sticks to my mind after. after yeah, the it's fact. that and one. For me, the scenes that stick in my mind is either that one. Or it's the. Scene where they're in the bonsai shop. And Mike's destroying the bonsai. There's a fight in the bonsai shop. Mike's destroying it. And then freaking Mr. Miyagi comes in and everyone's like, you can tell everyone in the theater at the time was like, yeah! (laughs) Or it's the one in the Cobra Kai dojo where John Kreese reveals himself behind a billboard, which is hilarious. Or a cardboard cutout of himself. 
I also remember the the training scenes when Terry Silver's making him beat the beat the dummy until oh, he's bloody, yeah. until his knuckles are bleeding, and really pushes him to the limits, gets all his aggression out, which is yeah. There's a lot of great scenes in this movie. It's. I think one of the, one of the things about this movie is that it it furthers furthering from the themes of the first two. Daniel is definitely less hot headed than the other ones at this point in his in his life. But also, this movie actually brings him into open conflict with Mr. Miyagi over. I think there's a decent enough reason. You know, he's still a teenager and. Karate, he realizes after this spiritual journey, is is very honorable, and he knows not to use it for for fighting and always be merciful. He knows the lessons, but also the All Valley Tournament's coming back up again, and he wants to defend his title because he's still he's still a teenage boy, and the sporting competition means a lot to him, and it's he's got enough vanity to say, well. Yeah, I know I shouldn't use karate, but just like the first one, I still, you know, I still want to do it because <laughs> I I appreciate it as a as a sport, and it's it's controlled, and I'm not using it to really hurt people. I'm using it to show just like what I've learned and celebrate it. it, it I'm using this to celebrate karate, really. But Miyagi doesn't want him to do it, and that yeah. That drives a rift between him and Daniel, which Terry Silver immediately takes advantage of. Mm-hmm. Which is what a smart corporate man would do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it goes to show, I don't want to compare it to Star Wars, but I will. You see, you see the imbalance of Daniel going from, like, the good to the dark side, and Terry trying to be, like, that anger you feel, that, excuse me, that anger you feel against uh Mike Barnes you should use that cuz anger is a powerful tool and you slow you see that come to bite Daniel back like right in his face where they had a party or they had a club or something like that and so they he gets into like an altercation and then he pushes Jessica and then just straight up clocks a dude in the face and I think breaks his nose. And he realizes at that point that like he shouldn't be doing this. He's like, it's like actually it's hurting people more than it's helping. And that's when he goes to Terry Silver and then that whole reveal happens. So that's one of the scenes that stick out to me where it's like, oh, this what I just did was really bad because I hurt someone. I hurt one of my friends. Or yeah, a love interest, and then I just hurt a completely innocent guy who was just trying to check in on the situation. Yeah, actually, it nearly reminds me of that scene from uh, maybe this isn't a good comparison on in defense of, but in Spider-Man Three, when he's when he's all hopped up on the on the black suit, and then he ends up pushing Mary Jane down. And then he he realizes, oh crap, that was his turning point in Spider-Man Three. Yeah. Maybe it stole that from this movie. I don't know. But it's just a good moment of the hero realizing, oh, they're they're going too far for 
what they thought were good reasons. But once, but once it becomes more real, now they're realizing, oh, wait, I'm not just... I could handle it if it was just hurting me, but what I'm doing is hurting other people, so that's... So I, something's got to change. Daniel's conscience finally takes over. And... So what I like about Daniel joining Cobra Kai is that, well, let's say going back to Star Wars, for example, you know, Luke always flirted with the dark side, but he never joined it. Daniel straight up joined the enemy in this one. He went full on dark side for a while. And, uh, yeah. and which is another ballsy move. Yeah. You know, this franchise takes risks. It, it never played it safe. It had a cartoon and a cartoon show. Well, they went on adventures. Crazy. But what I like about Daniel going so far out of his comfort zone is that it solidifies his relationship with Mr. Miyagi through their greatest rift. Is they... After this movie... By the time of this movie's closing, they're never stronger. Because even though they went apart, Miyagi never stopped believing in his... Basically, they're, they're a father-son relationship. He never stopped really believing in his surrogate son mm-hmm. that he would come back from the brink. And Daniel got a greater appreciation. He, I mean, he already respected the hell out of Miyagi, but he, he loved him even more as a father after this movie when he realized how badly he'd yeah. hurt him by basically betraying him and his style of karate and joining the other team. So there's a lot of deep thematic character work going on in this movie. Is the writing as strong as the first two? No. No. Is it amazing? No. But it's still a very important chapter in the characters' lives. If you care about the characters, you want to watch this movie. Because it's... Because they... Yeah. The stories are still good. The execution is... eh, Fine. But the, the, the story is still good. I think out of all the villains, like the kid villains, Mike Barnes is the most scary. He's, yeah. Because he actually, like, legitimately is a threat to Daniel. And not in terms of just, like, fighting in a tournament, but just in real life. Like, they're dangling over the cliff and he has the ropes. Could drop him any second. Literally goes to the bonsai shop and... Like, every time they run into each other and Daniel refuses to sign to to fight Mike, he either breaks something or, like, threatens someone or, like, tries to hurt Daniel in a way. Beats him up regularly. And even during the tournament, Mike Barnes doesn't... I don't know if he actually cares about winning, but every time Mike Barnes gains a point, he will then lose a point during cheap shot, trying to psychologically get into Daniel's head. And then there's that mm-hmm. great moment where Daniel's like, I'm afraid, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then Pat Moriarty like screams at him like, Hey! <laughs> Focus. Which is yes. like, like it's a great scene of just like overcoming your fears. And I think that's why he needs to come back in Cobra Kai, because he's the only one that I think made, besides Terry Silver, actually Hurt Daniel. That made Daniel afraid, yeah. Which I think is I mean, I don't want to say I like that they gave Daniel new trauma in this movie, 
but once again i also respect that the karate kid sequels always had the had the guts to push the story forward in new ways give the characters new yep. serious obstacles to deal with daniel has real fears that he needs to overcome in this movie pushes him to its new limits every movie he's growing and learning more and being pushed further and further and further every time which i think is the hallmark of a good story continuation once again the writing is not necessarily up to snuff in its execution but the fact that it kept pushing daniel and miyagi into new territory is enough for me to respect this movie and even stuff like the bonsai store daniel becoming a bit a successful business owner it teaches him more responsibility this by the end of this story a part three i'd say daniel becomes a full-fledged mature adult man basically by the end it it started at the with age him of being, 20 Is yeah. that wild? who does that it started with him being a bullied kid in high school and by the end he's a he's a man with you know, uh, and and a good man too, because he followed Miyagi's. Now settle the age-old debate: who's who started it, Daniel or Johnny? Who's the real bully? Johnny. Who is it? <laughs> I mean, but it's true. I mean, but Daniel is. I love the know, um, Barney Stinson a lot approach too. that he has to uh, <laughs> Barney Stinson approach to the Karate Kid. If you ever watch How I Met Your Mother, I love I've seen those I, videos. I, I, it's a great the clip. perspective of Johnny Lawrence. Basically, John, really funny. Basically, they wrote Cobra Kai about fifteen years before Cobra Kai came out. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's really funny. Where if you go back and watch part one, in terms of like, because when in Cobra Kai, when Johnny's explaining it, he's just like, "I just want to talk to Allie about it." But in the movie, he's being like very aggressive, but he's remembering it very differently. It's like, and then this kid comes in and steals the radio. So I was like, hey, man, go, like, gives him, like, a push. Which back in the day is like, get out of here. And then (laughs) I think Daniel Strap clocks him in the face. (laughs) Or something like that. Like, doesn't leave him alone. But yeah, of course, Daniel is the one. Daniel is the one who is being bullied. That's the side I'm on. However, did not need to put the hose over on the Halloween dance. That was a little. And you don't think you're going to get beat up after that? You're going to. He learned. He grew and learned by part three. He was very flawed in the first one. Hot-headed kid, but now he's... No, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Part three, he, he became more mature, which is which is the point. I'm just waiting, now, until, I'm just waiting until Jaden Smith shows up. <laughs> that'll be interesting. I don't think that was technically in they're not. They're not canon. They're not in the same canon. He, weren't, he learns Kung Fu. It's not karate. In Jaden Smith's movie, they call it Kung Fu. Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan multiple times says Kung Fu. It's not the Karate Kid. But were the characters Daniel and Miyagi, though? No, it was different. So they could show up. His name, his name was Dre. And Jackie Chan's was Mr. Han. Okay, so they could show up. It's actually a decent remake. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. It's just dumb they called it the Karate Kid. The fighting's really done well, yeah. Like you're saying. it's Kung Fu. It's not karate. Fine was okay, done so pretty well. I was wondering I how get... he got the gig. I was wondering how he Jaden got the gig, and then years later, I found out Will Smith was a producer. Was like, Nepotism. Oh, yes, makes sense. I want your but opinion. Yeah, I want your opinion here on 
chicken and the egg situation. Do you watch the original Karate Kid and its sequels and then Cobra Kai? Because I, like, I know watching the sequels makes Cobra Kai better. Or do you watch Cobra Kai first and then watch the Karate Kid sequels? Because the Cobra Kai makes them better. So even though Karate Kid sequels, we're admitting, even in this indefensive, they're not as good as the original Karate Kid. I feel like if you've seen Cobra Kai... No, I would do... I'm a fan will... of doing... I'm always a fan of doing when it was released. Release order? First. Yeah, in, in anything. Even even with um, even with like stuff like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, because all right, in my here's a good example where I'm gonna use Star Wars again. So spoilers, but an Empire Strikes Back, you find he's like, no, I'm your father. There's that whole like, oh my god, that's crazy, right? But if you yeah. watch him in chronological order, it's not really a shocker, because you learn through the prequels, who, who Luke's papa is. So when yeah. that scene comes up, you're like, if I was introducing it to someone who wasn't watching it for the first time, I would tell them to do the originals first. True. Same with here, because I feel like you need to respect the originals before watching sequels and adaptations, because... How do you feel about the if machine you, if you if you, show, if you showed someone, like, Force Awakens first... Where it's like amazing effects, great like production design and all that, and then you show them New Hope, they might it's take it. It's just the same it. plot as Force Awakens. Why do I care about this one? They may take it that, and they might be like, "Well, the effects aren't as good," which some people yeah. have said. But also, is nineteen fucking seventy seven, so calm down. Yeah. But other than that, I originals first all the way because I I feel in order to actually respect Cobra Kai. You have to watch the originals first, in my opinion. Or to even be able to... You can just watch Cobra Kai on its own, which some people have done. And you can do that. And it, which it's, it's I think great Cobra Kai, how they in- integrate the originals into Cobra Kai. I was going to say, with the Flash, like they even do flashbacks, it more. which is amazing. Yeah. But like even with like when Chosen showed up in season 4, Four. three or four that was a real oh shit moment for me because i didn't even know if he was going to show up yeah i was like holy fuck that's the same actor oh my god oh my god oh my god and for me i really really appreciate it because i watched the movies before and then i learned terry silver was coming back and i was like i mean i love me some things like top gun maverick but i think cobra kai is the best legacy sequel i've ever seen like it ties yeah. Top Gun Maver- Top Gun Maverick had to be a legacy sequel to one movie. Cobra Kai managed to tie in three movies and two two of them weren't even that beloved, but they somehow managed to make yeah. all of it better. I know some people who don't like the original Top Gun, but love Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Because they see Top Gun as a very cheesy eighties movie, which it is very cheesy. The sex scene alone is cringy. <laughs> Everyone's very sweaty. But there's a lot to appreciate because it's so quotable. And then Ma- and then Top Gun Maverick adds so much drama and so much. Uh, it does add nostalgia, but in the right way. Uh, and I hate when people are like, oh, it's too nostalgic. And it's like, well, that's like, of course it is. Like, do you want him to not be nostalgic? 
Nostalgia is like, it's a sense of pride and a positivity. You don't want to be positive? I think nostalgia is a bad thing when it's the entire movie. It, like, Top Gun Maverick is clearly just, and this isn't a Top Gun Maverick discussion, but things like Cobra Kai, they're doing their own thing. It's built right. on the past. There's definitely a lot of nostalgia for the past in it, but it's also forward thinking as opposed to something like, I'll say The Force Awakens, where it's like pretty much all about the past and not really thinking about where it's going. Yeah. It's all about looking back. Like the, like the aesthetic's the same, the, the characters are similar, that's tied into what happened before. The stormtrooper helmets are different. Yeah. So... But to, to wrap up, I just not, love the I think sense about of... It does make sense why they're stormtroopers now, if you think about it. And they have to learn yeah. why they're stormtroopers from an art book. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> it's canon that the Empire split off and then in the like, deep, dark spaces of... Or whatever, who cares? doesn't yeah. matter. Before we wrap no up, I just want to... <laughs> no. I just want to point out for the Karate Kid sequels in Cobra Kai that... The Karate Kid saga is basically an epic karate soap opera spanning five generations. We have the original generation of karate masters, Miyagi and Sato. And then we have the next generation of Johnny, Daniel, Chosen. And then we have the next generation after them is... Uh, oh, uh, sorry. Before them, we have the guys like Kreese and Terry Silver. And then after Johnny and Daniel, we have, you know, Sam, Tori, Miguel, Robbie. And then after them, we have guys like Anthony and Kenny. It's a five-generation spanning story going back even from, from World War II through Vietnam, through the 80s to, to now. We, it, it spans 80 years of history, five generations. Who's Anthony it's and Kenny? Daniel's son and... Uh, Oh, the the guy, the kid, uh, Anthony bullied until Robbie taught him. Oh, right, right. That's an interesting character. Yeah, I liked his arc. Yeah, that made sense. I I don't like Anthony. Anthony's such a little shit. Which is the point. <laughs> I didn't like him. I didn't like uh, it was not because of season four, but just in general as a show. He just didn't do anything. And then he got didn't really make him like it. And then and then become a different uh, character altogether. Wasn't it the same kid? I think he's just the same kid. No, it was recast, I'm pretty sure. No. Hold on, let me look it up, Anthony. Because they had to age him up a little bit. Be careful when you're looking things up. Don't get spoiled. Don't spoil <laughs> me. Oh, never mind. Yeah, he just got a growth spurt. Oh, he got a growth spurt and... Skinnier. Wait, yeah, weight loss. Yeah. Oh, never mind. I thought it was a completely different person, so good for him. So, yeah, what that's just... If you, you got, if you watch Cobra Kai and all the original Karate Kid, you're getting an 80-year-plus karate saga about generations teaching each other, failing each other, different styles of karate, the meaning of honor, the soul of the valley... Japanese culture, influences, history, just there's there's so much going on in this franchise and they're all 
Whether you like them all or not, they're all a part of this epic story, and they all deserve to be seen. And that's our In Defense of Karate Kid Part 2 and 3. Unless you have any more to say, you want to plug your socials, Ryan? Again, I haven't watched season five of Cobra Kai, but I'm very excited because I just think this universe is very well beloved. And this what this goes to show when producers and production people let people who love a certain universe or franchise create something because again, it might be cheesy. Like we all know the first two seasons are probably some of the weaker ones because they did start as YouTube originals. So they weren't as a uh, high production value, but even then they're still very well done. And um, it just goes to show that, you know, if you give someone the reins who actually really cares and loves something could probably make something great. Which is probably why when D&D and Season 8 of Game of Thrones were super burnt out and didn't want to hand over the reins. <laughs> yeah, I told I was going I'm putting I'm putting it in here is why that did not work out. And goes to show you when people love something. They won't set it free, but actually create something beautiful <laughs> with it. But after that, yeah, this has been close up. You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on TikTok and on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Thoughtplane Media and our Facebook page at the same name. Also check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates. Find further film discussion and entertainment reviews on thoughtplane.ca forward slash articles. And if you'd be so kind, you can support Thoughtplane Media on Patreon, link down below. Also be sure to leave us comments and reviews as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time. Cobra Kai. Never dies.